Amina is an activist during the Arab Spring. Her blog, Gay Girl in Damascus, attracts readers from around the world. When she's mysteriously abducted, her followers mobilize, desperate to save her. What they find shocks them. I'm Samira Moyedin, the host of Gay Girl Gone, a new six-part series from CBC. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. Intrauterine devices, or IUDs, have been around for more than a century. They've emerged as one of the most effective methods for long-term birth control. This month, our sister show, White Coat Blackheart, took a close look at the things women who get IUDs complain about. So this week, we're asking, what do I need to know about IUDs? Hi, Renee. Welcome to The Dose. Hello. Thank you for having me. I hear you're called the IUD whisperer. (laughs) Some of the nurses have indeed called me the IUD whisperer, which is uh, very sweet, and I appreciate the moniker for sure. Why do they call you that? Well, it's... It is meant to be a very simple and quick procedure in the office, but honestly, it has taken me the 20 years to really, really hone the skill of gentle technique and informed consent, doing that properly as well, and being able to do it quickly and carefully. Um, it's, it's not the easiest skill per se, particularly for our difficult insertions. And eventually we get to a point, and we know this from literature too, that our complications just decrease and decrease and decrease over time. And I've got the white hair now to be able to say I have very low complication rates. (laughs) Sounds like you're the perfect person to to be our guest this week on The Dose. So why don't you give us a hi, my name is, tell us what you do and where you do it, just ad lib. Absolutely. So my name is Renee Hall, and I'm a clinical associate professor at the University of British Columbia. And I have been working in the area of family planning here for a good 20 years. I work at two hospitals and three clinics, which sounds chaotic, but it's all the same topic. It's contraception and abortion care. And I'm also a big teacher. So I teach uh, doctors to insert IUDs and give them a bunch of tools and tricks and things that they can do to decrease pain as well. Well, you sound like an incredible resource, so we're grateful to have you on The Dose. We are talking to you because, as you've said, you've, you've got a ton of experience uh, putting IUDs, uh, inserting IUDs and teaching uh, healthcare providers how to do it. Let's start with the most basic question of all. What exactly does an IUD do? Well, I think um, before I even talk about what an IUD does, I do just want to briefly mention why IUDs are, just to say a bit about the Canadian contraceptive context, really. And we know inadequate contraception is a major public health concern in Canada because it leads to such a high number of unintended pregnancies. And a lot of this work and the data that we have is from Dr. Amanda Black, who you actually spoke to. And she interviewed um, Canadians who have a risk of becoming pregnant or their partners, and they self-report as 35% of not using contraception or um, having a lot of difficulty adhering to contraception. So basically, of all pregnancies in Canada, 40% are unintended. Um, And we do 75 to 100,000 abortions in Canada every year. And we know we can do better. We know that when we counsel people to contraception that they do tend to choose this IUD method or some of these long acting methods. Uh, And uh, when we have studied it, about 56% of people after good contraceptive counseling choose this method in Canada and an additional 16% choose it uh, if they had the money. So it's close to 70% of people interested in these long acting methods. 
And right now we're probably close to maybe, well, in 2016, it was 8.8% using IUDs in Canada. Maybe we're up to 20% at this point. So there's this huge unmet need. And why are we nowhere near that 70%? And you touched on one thing. Pain is a big thing we want to deal with better. But there's many of us dedicated to this um, practice of inserting IUDs. And so uh, we are trying so hard across the country to share our tips and our tricks to make this as easy as possible for those people interested in it after good contraceptive counseling. Okay. So now that you've explained the the preamble, what does an IUD do? The IUD is uh, a device that sits within your uterus and they act in a couple of different ways. So the hormonal ones will decrease the um, risk of becoming pregnant by thickening the cervical mucus as well as um, by changing the endometrial lining of the uterus and the thickening of the cervical mucus basically acts as a block to sperm so most of their effect is pre-fertilization but also it would be difficult for an egg and sperm to actually implant into the wall because the lining of the uterus is altered so because they work in these multiple ways their effectiveness is super high both in typical use and in perfect use Um, The copper IUD kills sperm as well. Copper is like little shooting guns. Pew, pew is what I think about (laughs) killing the sperm as they come by and uh, also affects the endometrial lining as well. And so that's how they work. And they're just like a little device sitting in the uterus that have been made of all kinds of things over the years. What do you tell patients about the main types of IUDs? Well, there are two main types of IUDs, and when I'm talking to a patient, I'll often ask them about their cycle first, if they have heavy or light periods, and that'll give me an idea of which way to talk about um, the IUD. So the copper ones tends to increase your bleeding and increase your cramps, um, but they do have no hormone at all, and there's still a lot of people quite interested in that option, and they don't mind a little bit of heavier bleeding and heavier cramping. Other people put the copper IUD in and very much dislike that feature of it. The hormonal IUDs, however, decrease pain and bleeding. And in fact, the Mirena has the indication by Health Canada to act as a treatment for people who have terrible pain and bleeding. And we've seen a lot of help for people in this area. In fact, a lot of people canceling their surgeries for hysterectomies and things like that. And what um, I say about that one is that it does have hormone in it. You can have that hormone in your system. And there's about 12% of people who will remove the uh, hormonal IUD because of hormonal side effects. Uh, But comparing that to the pill, after a year, it's about 45% of people who stop the pill for hormonal side effects. So it's definitely better. And how it'll react in each individual person's body, we don't know till we give it a try. So I usually say if you hate it at four or five months, hormonally speaking, we can take it out. If you hate it for bleeding reasons or pain reasons by about six months, then absolutely we can take it out anytime. How much more effective are the hormonal IUDs compared to, say, the pill? Yeah, so this is um, a really good uh, question, and this is why the Society of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, as well as the Canadian Pediatric Society, um, that this is why they recommend them first line. Meaning, if you see a 15-year-old and she comes to talk to you about birth control, as healthcare providers, we've been asked to discuss these long-acting methods first, so IUDs and implants. And there are three reasons threefold. One is effectiveness, as you uh, mentioned. So with effectiveness, it's an interesting thing. When you look at 
the package of a birth control pill, it says 0.3% chance of pregnancy. Fabulous. When you look at a package of condoms, it says 2%. Again, fabulous. However, if you actually look at typical use failure rates, meaning if you take 100 people using condoms, 18% get pregnant. If you take 100 people using the pill, 9% actually get pregnant because there's a huge human error component. Whereas the IUDs, the typical use failure and the perfect use failure are very, very close to the same. So in fact, the same for the Mirena IUD, it's 0.2% chance if you use it perfectly and 0.2% chance of pregnancy if you, in in a typical population using it. So that's the first reason that they recommend it. And the second reason is continuation. About 80 to 85% of people continue using the long-acting methods after a year, whereas the short-acting methods like the pill and the patch and the ring, uh, as I mentioned, it's a good 45% of people where you're going to have to talk about birth control all over again because they don't like it. And that's not very pandemic-proof or politics-proof for our folks to the South. And then the final reason is they're super reversible. Because of their low, low dose of hormone, um, They, uh, you take them out, you can get pregnant right away. What do you recommend people ask their healthcare provider when they're interested in getting an IUD? I think one of the first things, um, particularly if people have a lot of fear or anxiety around the IUD insertion, is how often the person inserts IUDs. There are specific clinics that you can go to that uh, where we're passionate about these things and insert IUDs all day long, and they're called. And you can go to race.ca, R-A-I-C-E.ca. Click on your province, and it has the places that insert IUDs all the time. Um, However, so many family doctors and nurse practitioners and in some provinces, midwives are perfectly capable of inserting IUDs and you want to just ask them how often they do it. And um, what you want to ask is how it might affect you in your situation. So your doctor will take a full history to try to understand um, your uterus, what history it has with regards to having had C-sections before or not, if you have any other conditions that may affect your response to both insertion and just having having the IUD. And then ultimately together, you're both making your best guess as to what would work best for your body. But then it takes ongoing communication with that um, healthcare provider to make sure that this is the right option for you and to be able to change quickly if you're not happy with the result. As, As a provider, how do you decide whether an IUD is right for one patient and maybe not right for another. What are some of the decisions or or some of the conditions or criteria that you're looking for? The first thing, um, of course, is the medical contraindications, which I mentioned are very few with the IUD. So that usually is the quickest part of the conversation. Do you have any liver disease? Do you have like very few things that would actually exclude someone? And then, for example, if someone has very low iron in the first place, uh, I don't know if the copper IUD is such a great idea because we're about to increase your bleeding. So that's when I would start steering toward um, maybe the uh, hormonal IUD might be a better option for them. Having said that, having uh, going through their medical history and helping them to decide, at the end of the day, it's still the patient's choice and what they want to do. As long as it's not medically contraindicated, I'm happy to proceed uh, for them uh, with what they would like. 
The other thing is if they've had an abnormal, if they do have an abnormal uterus, there's people who have these double uteruses. And so then in that case, maybe the um, contraception in the arm, the contraceptive implant may be a better choice. Or we have those who've had a history of sexual trauma or have had uh, have a very difficult time with pelvic exams. So it's a lot about their medical history and their preferences. I've had some patients who just absolutely would love not to have a period. And so for sure, then I'm happy to talk about the hormonal methods with them. And those who are really uncomfortable with the idea of no period at all, they just feel like it's just not natural. And I try to reassure them and address the myths. But if they still would prefer a period, then we lean more toward the lower dose hormonal one or the copper. Hi, I'm Asha Tomlinson. And I'm David Common. And we're hosts of CBC Marketplace. We're award-winning investigative journalists that want to help you avoid clever scams, unsafe products, and sketchy services. Our TV show has been Canada's top investigative consumer watchdog for more than 50 years. But this is our first podcast. CBC Marketplace podcast is available now on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I'm going to talk about the procedure itself, but first of all, I wanted to ask you, how much do these devices cost on average? So the copper ones are quite affordable. They're between $70 to $100. A lot of uh, extended health um, programs do cover it, uh, whereas the hormonal IUDs are in the range of about $400. And there's some pharmacies, you can shop around too. I always like to tell my patients do shop around because there are differences in pharmacy fees for sure uh, from one place to another, but somewhere in the order of around $400. On White Coat Black Art, we heard how few proven medications there are for pain control. So how do you handle that where you practice? Well, the first thing we do is have a conversation with the person ahead of time so that we can see if we can get some indication, some tips, some hints ahead of time of how difficult this insertion is going to be. And so the first thing I'll talk to them about is all the tools that we have. Each individually may not have shown a lot of improvement, but some of them do show a little and then together um, they tend to do quite a good job. Even just the informed consent and information ahead of time so that people are aware and are counseled to expectation. So uh, I'll offer patients the option of medication ahead of time to help with their anxiety. We offer patients, um, we do ultrasound at our office, which helps us not poke around too, too much. We know exactly what direction and where we're going. And we offer local anesthesia pretty much as a baseline to everybody. Even though the uh, data hasn't really helped us, we've found that it's been very helpful in our practice and patients have told us it's helped them a lot. And in addition with the gentle technique and informed consent and what I like to refer to as verbicane, chatting with people through the procedure um, and using all these different tools, we can get about 99.5% of people through in an office setting. So we have still about a half percent of people that we think, you know, you may be best in a sedation setting. And I know for gynecologists who you've spoken to, that's easy access for them. But for those of us out in the community, that's not super easy access, which has made forced us <laughs> in a good way to improve our skills and to find little tips and tricks, like even modified cervical blocks that are much uh, less painful than the typical one um, that we've been sharing as much as we can, as widely as we can with people. So they've got lots of tools in the toolbox to help with pain. 
You've touched on the experience of the provider, and and certainly you have a lot of experience. And I want you to address this in a question all by itself. How important is the experience of the provider in in making it as as pain free or as smooth an insertion and gaining the confidence of patients? Massive. The relationship that you have with the provider is so important and that's why those of us who are passionate about this topic work so hard to try to figure out the best ways to communicate with patients, to train ourselves in trauma-informed care and making this the entire scene comfortable. We even talk about in our training programs, make the room comfortable, make it warm in there, make the uh, let them use... Um, um, headphones and music if that helps them. We've had people come in with slippers and blankets and and cuddly toys. Every tool we can possibly use, we are trying to help people out. And when you're sensitive to that and open to them um, being as comfortable as they possibly can be, as well as trying to hone your own skills, um, uh, it makes a huge difference to their experience. I I am by no means perfect. There are times when I assumed a procedure would be very, very difficult and it was simple. And the exact opposite is true. When I've thought that the procedure would be no problem at all and it was very very painful for the person but it's also how you handle the situation how you manage their pain afterwards the conversation you had ahead so that they can expect that that could have happened in the first place i think what people also really appreciate is that i'm able to tell them exactly the moments where they'll feel pain and i'll say you'll feel a pinch in three two one you're going to feel a cramp in three two one so that they're ready and kind of brace themselves for it and a lot of patients tell me that they appreciate that knowledge of exactly when to expect something surprises are never fun when it comes to pain no, uh, and I can you know certainly as uh, as an emergency provider who who doesn't insert IUDs, it, it's true for the rest of medicine as well. Um, I have an interesting question for you: uh, Is it better to wait six or seven months uh, to get an experienced provider or get an IUD right away from somebody who's inexperienced? So it depends on what contraception you are you are on now, and um, and how good you are at adhering to that contraception, and also your level of concern, anxiety, and medical situation. So if you're someone who's had three babies and you've had an IUD in the past, there's no need to be waiting for a, a specialized care center. But as I mentioned, those race clinics aren't actually a gynae where you have to wait six or seven months. They're IUD clinics where you may have to wait maybe one month or, or less sometimes. Um, so if someone has a lot of uh, uterine experience per se, it's likely going to be an easy procedure. And if someone is uh, 15 years old, never had a pap test, never had a pelvic exam, um, then we're weighing hmm, how good are they at using contraception right now versus uh, the experience of the inserter as well. So it's a balance and trying to figure out the best place and the best timing for each individual person. Okay, the IUD is in. Now what should they expect? So I always tell people, It's maybe three, four minutes for this part, but the rest is more the issue. (laughs) Some people walk out and they go straight to work and they're absolutely fine and continue on with their day. Literally, they do it at lunchtime. We've had that all the way up to people literally feeling like they're having contractions at the end of the day. So it depends on just how much your uterus objects to having an object in it. And it is more than cramps. It does, for some people, feel literally like contractions. Uh, in the evening that they go home. So I always tell people before IUD insertion, just in case, maybe don't plan anything that night. And I like to tell people worst case scenario just because it's um, uh, it'll always just be positive if it doesn't come out to be that bad. 
So I tell people if you are on that side of things where the pain is really bad, then heating pads, ibuprofen, Netflix, chocolate, the usual um, cramp management is what we would use. And then, of course, let them know about any warning signs or things that I would be concerned um, that I'd like to hear about. And we have a 24-hour call number for them for that, too. And then there's the length of time of things, because unfortunately, it's not a... Um, one-shot deal, boom, you're done, it's over. IUDs take settling, it takes time to determine if this is the right option for you. So I tell people if you're having severe, awful cramps and bleeding and pain and you cannot go on, of course let me know, of course we can talk about it and of course we can take it out because this idea of going to three different doctors before someone will take it out makes no sense, that's not consent. Um, uh, on the other hand, I also wanna make sure people are aware that it does take time to settle. For the copper IUD, I say the first couple of periods tend to suck they tend to be very long and heavy and crampy and then by about the fourth or fifth that's about as good as it gets so if you're okay with the level of bleeding wonderful but if it's four or five months and you're not liking it then for sure come on back for the morena it's more than five six months so at about six months the morena and kylina if people are not happy with the bleeding and pain uh, it's unlikely to improve too too much more maybe a little bit more up to one year um, but it's worth uh, talking to people throughout their experience to try to uh, find out how they're doing and to see if they're okay to continue on. And the bleeding for the Morena and Kylina, it feels like you're kind of bleeding all the time. See, I've been on the other side of the gurney. I've had all kinds of, all these three kinds of IUDs myself. So you just kind of want to have panty liners with you all the time because the bleeding can be quite unpredictable. It stretches your period out. So it feels like you're spotting a lot of the time. And then each month, the spotting days start to disappear and disappear and disappear. So slowly but surely you get a lighter period and less cramps. And that's your average. There are, of course, people who don't have the experience I'm describing at all. And so um, that's, uh, that's why it's important to keep communication with your patients. If the person isn't satisfied, you know, certainly we heard they might try to pull it out, uh, pull out the IUD like a tampon. Why is that not recommended? Because if you get part way, but not all of it, the IUD sitting in the cervix can cause what we call a vasovagal reaction. So there is a nerve in your cervix that drops your blood pressure if it's stimulated and it makes you faint. So that can be quite dangerous if you're on your own, if you're trying to do it in your bathtub and you hit your head. So it's not the greatest idea. And then if you do get it halfway out and you have to go see a physician, you've got this sort of um, device sitting in your vagina that has lots of bacteria in it where the other half is in your uterus that is meant to be sterile. So um, there could be risk of infection as well. And it's such a quick and easy procedure generally when we remove IUDs that that I would even say, by all means, go to your local walk-in clinic as well. Dr. Renee Hall, I want to thank you for answering all my questions and making it sound so clear. My pleasure. Dr. Renee Hall is a clinical associate professor at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. She inserts about 2,000 IUDs a year. Here's your dose of smart advice. There are two kinds of IUDs. Copper IUDs work by killing sperm. Hormonal IUDs work by causing the cervix to make thicker mucus, which blocks sperm from getting into the uterus. They cause less bleeding and cramps than copper IUDs. The Canadian Pediatric Society and the Society of Obstetricians and Gynecologists of Canada recommend IUDs as a go-to method of birth control because they're more effective and have fewer side effects than the pill. The cost of an IUD varies from $70 Canadian for a copper IUD to around $400 for a hormonal product. Prices may vary, so it pays to shop around. Some extended health plans cover IUDs. 
In general, choose a provider who is experienced, meaning they insert a lot of IUDs on a regular basis. They need to do a careful assessment to make sure an IUD is right for you. IUDs can be painful to have inserted. Your healthcare provider should anticipate and deal with the likelihood of severe pain. It takes around five minutes to put in an IUD. It takes longer to see how well you tolerate having one. Consider having a copper IUD removed only if you're having severe cramps and bleeding after four or five months. For hormonal, it's more like half a year. Contact your healthcare provider to have it removed. Because of the risk of fainting, you should not try to take it out yourself. For more on IUDs, visit cbc.ca slash whitecoat. Our email address is thedose at cbc.ca. If you have topics you'd like discussed or questions answered, tweet me at nightshiftmd, at cbcwhitecoat, or at cbcpodcasts, hashtag thedosecbc. You can find The Dose on the CBC Listen app and wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, rate us five stars so more people can find out about us. This edition of The Dose was produced by Amina Zoffer with help from Stephanie Dubois. Technical operations were by Austin Pomeroy. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. See your healthcare provider for medical advice. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.